Well, I had a few mixed thoughts about singing We Three Kings before talking about Matthew chapter 2 because, well, for one, they weren't actually kings, and we don't know if there were actually three of them. So, like, right from the get-go, not a good start on the song We Three Kings, but I like the song. It's a good song. And I'm glad we do sing it because it has great truth in there that points us to Christ. And um, we, many wise men, doesn't have the same ring to it um, as we three kings. So I'm glad we sing that song. And as we sing some of these songs at Christmas time, it points us to Christ. But we want to make sure that you know, our focus is on what God's word says and how that it just encourages us and helps us uh, during this Christmas season. And we're in Matthew chapter 2, so I invite you to turn there with us. And in Matthew chapter 2, we find this story of the wise men and Herod. Now, Joseph is in this story as well, and obviously Jesus is in this story. But as we look through this story, we're going to find two different types of people in this Matthew chapter 2 narrative. And not only two different kinds of people, but in their heart motives and also in their actions, but then we'll find a one overarching story from this passage. So why don't you join with me? I'm going to begin and I'll start reading in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, "'Where is he who has been born king of the Jews?' For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah." For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, a star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to see what's really going on in our hearts this morning. Help us to evaluate well and honestly um, and truthfully what is in our heart, what is in our motives and what our actions reveal about our heart as well. And help us to trust your word, that it will guide us and point us to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let's talk about these wise men from the East to start out with. They have given themselves over to the study of science, the study of knowledge. They have given themselves over to learning a variety of things. That is their heart attitude, is to learn. And they are wealthy people. They're very powerful, and that's often why we refer to them as kings, even though they aren't kings, but they are powerful. They have might. They have influence. They are the types of people from Daniel chapter 2, where we have the wise men that are given to Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, and they are uh, just the learned people. They're who the kings go to for their advice and their counsel. 
These men are also astronomers. So that's why when they're looking up in the sky, studying the stars, they see something different. There's something there that they have not witnessed before. And they obviously knew that it had something to do with this king of the Jews. Herod, on the other hand, he is in Jerusalem. So the wise men are from afar. They are not around Jerusalem. They're not really around the Jewish people. But they know that this star means something about this king of the Jews. Herod is in Jerusalem. He was appointed by Octavian and Antony from Rome to be the king over the Jews. He was a very evil man. He had his wife and two sons murdered because he thought that they were committing treason against him. He also imprisoned many prominent Jewish people, Jewish leaders from Jerusalem. And the reason why he did that was so that on the day that he died, he issued a decree that when he died, that these men were to be executed as well. And he did that because he knew that no one would mourn his death. So he wanted people who that the general population would love to die on the same day he did so that there would be people mourning in the streets. True wickedness, right? True evil. Herod, this king of the Jews, he heard that there were these wise, powerful men coming into his town looking for the king of the Jews. Do you imagine how that might make Herod feel a certain way? You're coming and looking for the king of the Jews? I'm right here. But they're looking for someone else. Herod, not known for his humility, he wants to seek it out for himself as well. So he invites all the smartest people in town. He invites the chief priests, the ones who were Jewish, who would know about this king of the Jews, to let him know who this is and where he is. So the prophecy comes from Micah 5, 2. They were told then that there's going to be a ruler that was going to rise up and be the king. We see outwardly from these two different characters, we see a similar response. But we're going to see their hearts revealed two different ways because they're two different types of people. It appears that they're both wanting to go and worship Jesus, right? That's what Herod says. He says, yes, tell me where he is. I want to come worship him as well. I don't think so. We know the rest of the story. That's not the case. But we have two people who are really authentically, genuinely seeking Jesus. They're both searching for him. But yet the motives of the wise men is to worship, and the motives of Herod is to destroy. It gets me to think about all the outward things that we can often do that's right, but our inward heart, we might have different motives. Now, even coming to church this morning, you guys all made the right decision. We all made the right decision of coming to church. Good job. We did it. But we could be here for a variety of different reasons, right? Maybe your parents forced you to be here. Maybe you love worshiping the Lord, and so you come to church on Sunday mornings. Maybe it's because God commands you to, so that's why you're here. Maybe it's because your friends are here. Maybe it's just, it's just what I do Sunday mornings. It's just what you do. You go to church. Maybe you're not even sure why you're here. That's possible. Maybe it's because God, you think God will be nicer to you. If I just do these nice things for God, he'll be nicer to me. Or maybe you just want to be with God's people. You love gathering together with God's people. There's all sorts of reasons why we chose to be here this morning. So do you think your motives matter? 
you're here, that's a good thing. But I think our motives do matter. Our hearts of why we do the things we do really does make a difference. So why would Herod be threatened with this news of the rise of the king of the Jews and the wise men would not be threatened? God had sent word to both the wise men and Herod. We know that the wise men knew about this prophecy because they saw an abnormal star, miraculous star that they'd never seen before. And what does it say that they thought? It says, they said, where is this king of the Jews? How would they know that this star related to the king of the Jews if word had not come to them through this prophecy? If no one had ever told them, they would have just thought, oh, this is a crazy star. Never seen that before. They would never relate it back to the king of the Jews, someone to go search out if God's word never came to them. But they hear, they see this star, they hear this news, and they say, let's go and let's worship. But when Herod hears of this news, he thinks of it a totally different way. Herod, being proud, being um, very all about himself, seemed to have his mind made up Another ruler is going to rise up, not on my watch, not if I have anything to say about it. We all have our responses when we hear the word of God. How do we respond? When we hear God's word exclaimed and proclaimed and declared to us, how do we respond? Do we respond like the wise man said, let's go see. How do I need to, what do I need to learn from this? Or do we say, not today, <laughs> Not on my watch. I don't want my heart attitude to change. We're either going to come humbly with a learning attitude or we're going to come to it proud. Maybe we're willing to accept the word of God just as long as it doesn't interfere with what I want to do. Right? It tells me to go to church, so yes, I will go. But then it tells me to serve in these areas and use my gifts that God has given me. It's like, ah, well, that takes a lot of my time and effort. I might not want to do that. We see a similar attitude in Herod. At the heart level, he comes to the word of God with pride, but he believes what the word of God says, does he not? He hears that there is going to be the king of the Jews coming from Bethlehem. He believes it, and that's why he sends out the wise men to go search those things. If he didn't believe it was true, he never would have sent the wise men to go and tell him where this king of the Jews is. So he believes it. But yet in his heart, in his proud response, he does, decides to destroy. If you've been to any counseling training at all, you might remember the phrase, the second part of the phrase is, because we want what we want. If you remember the first part, it says, we do what we do because we want what we want. Herod wanted to rule. He wanted power. He desired it. He craved it. He had to have it. So that's what he wanted. And so what was he willing to do in order to get that? But that's how many of us respond to Jesus, right? Maybe you've heard people respond that way. You try to invite your friends to come to know Jesus. You say, you're a sinner. Turn your life over to Christ. And people reject it. Why? Because... They want to keep control of their lives. They want to say, I want to continue to do things my way. I want to continue to live for myself. Why would I want to give that power over to someone else, even to Jesus? 
And here we see on a more magnified level with Herod, that same heart attitude of I want my own power. I want to live for myself. I want what I want. The wise men, on the other hand, being ones who are generally acknowledged as seekers of wisdom, they're wanting to learn. They're studying the sciences. So then when they're presented with this prophecy, they are not threatened at all. They want to seek it out. If you look over in verse 10, he says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That is probably the single best sentence in all of Scripture to describe the greatest amount of joy possible. They rejoiced exceedingly, how? With great joy. Can you imagine as they saw the star, they traveled out, then there must have been a time when they didn't see the star, as maybe they were meeting with Herod, but as they're going out again, it says, then they saw the star. They had seen it rise in verse 9. When they saw it again, they were really excited. I imagine it brings them to tears. The joy that you have when something wonderful happens that you just can't express it in words, it probably brought them to tears saying, there it is again. Now we can follow it and find this king of the Jews. In order to have that great amount of joy, what do you think was in their heart? What was in their heart? Was there anger? Was there pride like Herod? Or was there somebody who was willing to humble themselves when they were able to approach Jesus? And then we see two actions given toward Jesus. It starts in their heart motives, but then we see what outwardly, how they truly act. Let's look at verse 11 and 12. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Because the wise men's hearts were prepared, they were ready to worship. When they finally met him, they fell down. They worshiped and they gave gifts. In order for them to give gifts to Jesus, think about this, they had to bring them with them. When they set out on their journey, they had to bring the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They had fully anticipated that they were going to accomplish this goal of finding this king of the Jews, of finding this Messiah. So they prepared themselves ahead of time. And what's interesting to note is that Matthew does not explain that when they went in to meet with Herod, we don't see them falling down before Herod, the actual appointed king of the Jews. We don't see them worshiping Herod. We don't see them giving gifts to Herod. They had all that stuff with them, right? They were ready to worship. They were ready to give gifts to the real, true king of the Jews. They met with Herod, and they realized it's not him. He's not the guy. But they did when they saw Jesus. They fell down. See a couple other places in Scripture when people are falling down. It's recognizing the authority of someone else. In Luke chapter 8, verse 47, Jesus heals a woman who just touches the fringe of his cloak. Just the fringe. And Jesus realized that power has gone out from him to heal this woman, and she falls down before him. In Revelation chapter 4, we see the 24 elders before the throne. 
of God falling down before him. It's a remarkable thing to witness this. These are prominent, wealthy individuals. These are people who had power. These are people who were the authority in their field, and they come before a child and they bow. They fall down. Not only did they fall down, but they also worshiped. I believe both of these go together, but also they're different. Just to fall down before somebody recognizing their authority, that's one thing. But then to lift them up and worship them, I believe that's another. But they definitely go together. Back in Daniel, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, King Nebuchadnezzar built up this statue, and he wanted them to not only bow, but he says, you must fall down and worship. You must do both. Not just outwardly. I don't want you just to outwardly fall down. I want you in your hearts to be worshiping the statue. We know that they didn't. And then Nebuchadnezzar punished them. But here we have these wise men coming down, bowing and worshiping. As it says in Numbers 24, 17, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And then it's out of a response of their worship that they gave gifts. It was out of the overflow of their hearts that they gave gifts. So what did they give to them? Gold. We know about gold, right? It's a gift for royalty. It's a symbol of wealth. It's usually considered as one of the most precious jewels that we have. It's truly a gift worthy of the king of kings. Frankincense. We don't really know as much about frankincense, but he says, right, we picked up the gold and myrrh. What on earth is that? I think you got the wrong memo there. But frankincense, it's a wonderful smelling, very expensive form of incense. I read in one commentary that it's believed that it was sprinkled on offerings, um, certain offerings, as a symbol of desiring to be pleasing to God. So something worthy of God. So now we have a gift that is worthy of the King of Kings, worthy of God. But wait, there's myrrh. Uh, I know, it's bad. It's okay, you can groan at these, it's fine. Myrrh is a perfume as well as a great word to use for hangman, in case you're wondering. But it's a pricey perfume that we see in Scripture to use to anoint the tent of meeting. It's an exodus. Um, we see it's also used to prepare bodies to be buried. So it was a gift worthy of the humanity of Jesus. And as we keep our focus on the wise men just for a little bit longer, what types of gifts were these? These were gifts that they found in the back of their closet. These were gifts that they really tried to save a lot of money on. They used a bunch of coupons so they can get these. No. These are gifts that they were wanting to give to show the best. These were their best gifts. The best they had to offer. That is how they worship the king of the Jews. That is how they worship Jesus. In your bulletins, inserts, you have these 10 questions from an article in Desiring God, and I want to encourage you to really look through those questions, to take this week and think through 2020, how can I give God my best? Not what's left over, but give God my best. I want to challenge you to do that. And these are tough questions. (laughs) These are questions that you might read through a few of them like, okay, we can do that. And then you'll get to a couple where you're like, 
oh man, I wish I didn't read that. Because they get to the heart. They really do a great job of evaluating what is in your heart. How can you worship God this 2020 year? And if you respond well to those 10 questions, I believe that great change can come about in your personal life, in your love for Christ. Great change can come about in your family. And even in the culture of this church, if we all collectively respond well to these 10 questions, I believe our church can grow and change to become more and more like Christ. So would you be challenged to do that? It's possible to give gifts apart from worship, but we see that in the case of worship, you have to give. (laughs) You have to give. We cannot truly worship God and not give back to him. We cannot truly worship God by giving him just what's left in the tank at the end of the day. What is worship but giving our best praise to him? Giving our best attention to him? Giving our best time to him? Giving our best money to him? Giving our best energy to him? These are the things that we do here in our worship service this morning but it shouldn't be confined to our worship service this morning. We need to worship God with our all and with our best each and every day. In the morning when you rise, give Jesus your best. As you go to sleep at night, give Jesus your best. When you're tired from a long day of work, give Jesus what is due to him because he is the king, because he is the Christ. Worship him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then be encouraged by these verses. Maybe be challenged by them. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice in this year of 2020 that's coming up, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Worship the Lord. As for Herod, getting back to Herod, he chose to go a different route and not worship. Let's look back, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt." And remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. How did Herod outwardly express what was going on in his heart? Murder, anger, fury. When he realized that he had been tricked and he wouldn't be the one to be able to go and kill Jesus himself, What did he do? He said, well, let's just kill all of them. Truly evil. And his evil didn't just stay at just destroying one. Now it's destroying many. 
The anger in his heart was truly disturbing. And it made me recall this verse from James chapter 4. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And when we put it this way, we see ourselves maybe relating a little bit more to Herod. Right? We have this desire, and then it's taken away from us, so we murder. If we break down Herod a little bit and just take out the slaughter of the children for just a moment, this was a man who desired power, he desired position, and because there was someone who came along who would take that away, it infuriated him to the point that he lashed out in his anger at just the heart level. And if we're going to be honest with ourselves this morning, this happens to us a lot. Husbands, maybe do you have a desire for power in your home or position? What happens when that's taken away? Maybe your wife or children don't respond or don't respect the position that you have. Do you lash out in anger? Maybe it's when you're at your job. In whatever position you have at your job, you don't like it whenever that power is diminished or when it's demeaned or people don't think that you can do what you know you can do. What about when your preferences are taken away? All of a sudden things are done without them asking you, right? You want it done this way. I, I prefer it to happen that way. And then it doesn't. How do you respond? Does it draw you to get mad, get angry, to lash out, to become furious? And it's not that respect and position are wrong. It's not that having power or having preferences is a wrong thing. It's not. As my counseling supervisor, he says this. He says, when those desires become a demand of the heart, that is the source of sinful anger. It's when that desire becomes a demand. When you say, I would like for that to be done that way, and it doesn't happen, you really are saying, I demand it to be done that way or else. It's when your power of what you have in your position, when that's taken away, people don't acknowledge you as that authority figure, and then you get angry. It's showing that it's not just that you wanted it, or it's just something that's nice to have. It just shows that you had demanded it. I must be recognized this way. And it can be disheartening for us to think, wow, I might be a little bit closer to Herod than I thought. You might think that it's hopeless. This is just who I am. I'm an angry person. But I want you to force yourself to think, why did Jesus come? When Jesus came, he revealed the hearts of Herod and these wise men. But Jesus didn't come just to reveal hearts. He came to change hearts. When Jesus came, he came and he conquered sin and death. He rose from the dead so that your faith in him, you can be a different person. You don't have to be that person who says, I'm just angry all the time. I just have to have things my way. That's who I am. You can change, and by faith in Christ, you will change. It says in Romans 8, 29, it says that we must change to be conformed to the image of his son. There is hope in Christ for change to happen in your life. You don't have to stay where you are. We should be thankful for that. 
Herod saw Jesus and was unwilling to change. He rejected it. He let anger dominate his heart. And after all that Herod was willing to go through to keep his power, look what it says in verse 19. Simply, suddenly, but when Herod died. That was it. Herod died. He's done. It's over. We don't hear about any sickness here in Scripture or anything else going on with him that led to his death. As if to say that in this miraculous story of Jesus, not even a wicked person like Herod could prevent God's word from being fulfilled. God will accomplish his word. Herod's not somebody that we should even focus on or dwell on or fear because God will accomplish his word, and this is about Jesus. Revealing hearts can help us know who this Jesus is, Our actions will show us how we're responding to Jesus. But when it comes down to it, the overarching story of this, as we learn greatly about Herod, we learn some things about ourselves between Herod and the wise men. But we see, really, it's one word of God fulfilled. I don't know if you've noticed this, but throughout this story, laced with two different types of characters, we have God's will being accomplished. The word of God being fulfilled, as the prophets have said. And in Numbers, in verse 2, we see, I'm quoting from Numbers 24 in Jeremiah 23, referencing the king of the Jews, and they saw his star. In verse 6, we see the reference to Micah 5, 2, that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. In verse 5, we see a quote from Hosea 11:1 that he's going to come out of Egypt. And even in Jeremiah 31.15, referencing from verse 18, that even with this weeping and loud lamentation, God was accomplishing his word. God knew that this awful thing would be done. And as hard as it is for us to think through this, that God would bring about his word even through evil. I wonder what was going on through the minds of Mary and Joseph during this time. They had received word from an angel that Jesus would save the people from their sins. He'd be the savior, that he would go to the cross. They knew that he would, in some way, that he would die for the sins of people. And yet here Herod was, being warned in a dream to leave because Herod was after him. So they knew Jesus would have to live through this, but yet there's still that real authentic fear of what's going to happen. But they knew that God will keep his word. They knew that. Jesus couldn't have died young because he was prophesied to be that savior of the world. All these prophecies that God had made, even through evil, even through death may come, God's word cannot be stopped. No matter what evil that you might be seeing in the world today, no matter what might come, God's word will happen. It's highlighted in this chapter that God can and will do everything necessary. This is just a small glimpse. I know you can't read it all. It's very small print. But these are a number of the prophecies that were made about Jesus in that middle column. That's where it was prophesied about in the Old Testament. And on the right column, that's the New Testament when it actually happened. It's a lot. And that's not even all of them. It's just a number of them to show that God's word will happen. God's word is true. 
No matter what is going on in the world around you, you can be certain that God will accomplish his word. And if his prophecies came true from thousands of years ago to the moment of when Jesus was born, you can be certain that God's word will come true even though it was written thousands of years ago for today. And then when it says in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is true. There is salvation in no one else and nothing else other than the name of Jesus. That's it. Put your faith in Christ. If you're a guest with us today and you don't know Christ, we, we implore you, we want you to know the Savior who can change your heart from that of destined for sin and eternity in hell, that you can be changed to become new. That you can be destined for eternity in heaven with God. You can have a relationship with the one who created you. And why did he create you? <laughs> he created you to be a worshiping being and to worship him. Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. God desires your worship. You were created to worship. You see that in how you root for your favorite team. You see it in how you give special time and energy for the hobbies that you have, or how you adore your family and friends. You are specifically designed to worship. And our natural way is to be like Herod and worship ourselves, worship our desires, worship our preference, what I want to see happen, what I want to do, who I am, all about me. That's where our natural way goes, is to worship ourselves. But in Christ, you can worship the one who you were created to worship. Today, right now, you can confess your sins and turn to this one where there's salvation in no one else, but there's salvation in Christ. In the year 2020, I want to encourage you, encourage all of us, that we are a church that makes disciples. That we tell people of this wonderful Savior who has come. That we show them, that we show one another that he can change us. He can help us. He can grow us in so many ways. And that we can be disciples that we will be an awesome representation in this community, in our families, that we know Christ. So let's do that this year. It's coming up. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Are you ready to have your heart changed? Are you ready to worship our Savior? Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful and we rejoice in Christ. It's in Christ alone that we have salvation. It's in Christ alone that we have hope. It's in Christ alone that we can live freely for you. Help us turn to him today. If there's any who don't know you, Lord, convict them. Change their heart. Turn them to your son. For those of us who do know you, Lord, help us to continue to change. Continue to see where we need to grow and become more like Christ. Continue to worship as we were created to do. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.